0: It's June, meaning it's the final month of Season 1 of British History Royals, Rebels, and Romantics. I can't thank you all enough for joining me on this journey. It's been amazing. I've loved sharing the stories of fascinating characters from the past who can teach us so much about ourselves and our future. History shows us what's possible. This month, we're looking at family fun. First, some Stuart siblings, when brothers and then sisters take the throne. Then, just in time for Father's Day in the U.S., it's famous fathers and missing fathers in royal history. And finally, for our Season 1 finale, I am thrilled to have Rebecca Larson of Tudor's Dynasty Podcast join me to talk about one of her favorite family disputes in Tudor times. And this gives us what might just be the best line ever written in a letter. Now, sit back and enjoy the fun, the fractures, the fashions, and the frustrations that make up families. As Elizabeth I lay dying in the early months of 1603, courtiers and members of the council were preparing for a change in regime. The Tudors would end with Elizabeth. The next monarch would be a man, which was quite a relief to everyone, at least initially. He was coming with a ready-made family, including sons, to ensure the succession for the future. It seemed the chaotic years of female rule, questions over a foreign invasion, Fears about the succession and troubles associated with the aging queen were coming to an end. King James was on his way. Things would soon settle down. Not so fast. The Stuarts may have been welcomed by some members of the aristocracy in the Privy Council, and many in the country might have been relieved to return to the rightness of male rule. But as time went on, it became clear the Stuarts weren't quite the tidy monarchy people had been hoping for. The four generations of Stuart reign, James I, his son Charles I, then-sons Charles II and James II, and James's daughter daughters Mary and Anne, represented a manifestation of chaos and conflict. Particularly in the reigns of the male Stuarts, the battles between Catholic and Protestant, King and Parliament, and England and the continent rocked the country— Weakened the peace and prosperity and threatened the future of the monarchy. In fact, eliminated the monarchy for a period of time. Two sets of siblings sat on the throne during the Stuart regime brothers Charles II and James II, and sisters Mary and Anne. Their relationships and their reigns reimagined the monarchy, the role and power of parliament, and the place of England on the world stage. Stuart sibling rule, it changed everything. In this episode, we'll look at two Stuart brothers on the throne, Charles II and James II. Charles II Royal brothers Charles and James lived through one of the most turbulent periods of the monarchy, the declaration of war between Parliament and King and years of civil war. Charles, when he was age twelve and his brother James, at age nine, joined their father in the fight against Parliament in sixteen forty two after four years of battles. King Charles I surrendered, and Prince Charles fled to the court of his cousin Louis the Fourteenth in France, where he hoped to raise an army to help his father. Eventually, he left France and went to live in The Hague, where he managed to raise a royalist force but was unable to travel back in Scotland in time to save his father. King Charles I was tried for treason against his country by Parliament in January of 1469, found guilty, and executed. Oliver Cromwell had succeeded in defeating the English monarchy and began the process of creating an alternative government. In the meanwhile, Prince Charles was proclaimed King of Scotland in February 1649. He was crowned at Scone in 1651. He continued to fight Cromwell and the two faced off at the Battle of Worcester in September 1651. Cromwell was victorious and Charles fled for Normandy. When Cromwell was made Lord Protector, he was able to make alliances with France and Holland to support him against Charles. Eventually, Charles signed the Treaty of Brussels in 1656. In return for Spain supporting his efforts to regain the English throne, Charles agreed to raise a force to support Spain's war against France. At the Battle of the Dunes in 1658, Charles and his forces were defeated. Back in England, Oliver Cromwell died and was succeeded by his son. In 1660, the newly elected parliament supported a return to the monarchy, and Charles was invited to return and take the throne. He signed the Declaration of Breda on the 1st of May, 1660, promising to agree to a general amnesty for those who had supported Cromwell and parliamentary forces. A week later, he was proclaimed King Charles II. Charles timed things, so he rode into London on his birthday, the 29th of May, 1660. He was greeted with great rejoicing. The years of Cromwell's protectorate had been grim ones, with the extremist views of the Puritans enforced by law. Theaters were closed, parties were banned, even celebrations of Christmas and Easter, which had been so looked forward to and enjoyed during earlier years, were forbidden. After such an austere time, the return of the monarchy seemed a cause for rejoicing. The notion of a crown had been at the heart of the final words spoken by Charles I at his execution. He is recorded to have said, I go from a corruptible to an incorruptible crown, just before he was beheaded. His crown did become corruptible as it was destroyed by Cromwell. This might be one of the reasons it was so important to his son to restore the crown jewels to their glory. When Parliament decreed that the coronation regalia was to be destroyed following the king's executions, officials at the Jewel House of the Tower of London, many of whom were firm royalists, put up a fight. The clerk, Carew Mildmay, refused to give the keys to the parliamentarians who came to seize the jewels. But eventually, he was hauled away and the doors were broken down. The crown jewels were destroyed. However, one piece remained completely intact the medieval spoon that's used in the anointing of the monarch. It was hidden away and returned to Charles II by someone seeking to gain favor with the new king. Charles was was determined to restore the monarchy in all of its glory, and that meant recreating the crown jewels. At Cromwell's instructions, the previous crowns and other ceremonial implements were broken up, sold, and melted down, Charles ordered the creation of new regalia for his coronation. Some of the most precious and famous jewels had been hidden away by royalists during Cromwell's time and were now restored to the monarchy. For example, the so-called Black Prince's Ruby, which is actually a red spinel, not a ruby, is said to be the same stone that was owned by the King of Castile, who gave it to the Prince of Wales whose nickname was the Black Prince because he wore black armor. In 1367, that stone is now the centerpiece of the Imperial State Crown. That crown also holds some pearl drops that are said to have once been worn as earrings by Queen Elizabeth I. Also in the Imperial State Crown is the Stuart Sapphire, which was reportedly smuggled out of the country by Prince James these were all restored for the coronation of Charles II. By the time Charles II was crowned, he was every inch a king with glittering new regalia and rejoicing throughout the country. With numerous mistresses and illegitimate children and a clear preference for living an indulgent life, he earned the nickname the Merry Monarch. He generally sought to make peace with former enemies of his father, recognizing that Parliament could turn on him if he didn't keep them satisfied. However, he was unwilling to forgive those who were personally involved in the trial and execution of his father. He had Cromwell's body dug up, tried and found guilty, and executed as a traitor, beheaded with his head placed on a spike. Overall, however, there was a general spirit of optimism about the reign of Charles II but the king quickly faced two enormous challenges. The plague of 1665 wiped out a quarter of the population of London in just a year. Its toll peaked at 7,000 deaths a week in September. The king and royal family fled to Salisbury in Wiltshire for safety to escape the confined quarters of London. Parliament moved to Oxford. In 1666, London was deemed safe once more, opened up, and the King and Parliament returned. But just a few months later, the Great Fire of London broke out. The fire raged through the overbuilt city, destroying more than 13,000 houses and nearly 100 churches. With such dramatic destruction, rumors began to spread that the fire was a foreign plot. Even the King suspected the Dutch with whom the country was at war. The public, who looked to the king for safety, blamed him, and the Catholics, who were beginning to gain some power and acceptance during the reign of Charles II. The Queen, Catherine of Braganza, was a Catholic, and Charles had been eager to expand Catholic rights, something the Protestants strongly resisted. Some Protestants saw the fire as a sign of God's displeasure. The final years of Charles's reign, display the dichotomies of the time. On the one hand, the city was rebuilt at the king's direction. Christopher Wren's magnificent design for St. Paul's Cathedral is just one example of the way the city took on beautiful and modern new architecture and an atmosphere of being a leading capital of the world. Commerce was flourishing. Theaters and celebrations were bringing life and a sense of joy to the city. But on the other hand, Religious tensions were growing more dangerous. Charles was under pressure from his Catholic wife and his Catholic mistresses to attempt to pass the Declaration of Indulgence to restore Catholics' rights. He was forced to withdraw this in the face of Parliament's objections. The king even made a secret pact with the king of France that if French would support the English, the king would convert to Catholicism. And even though the king had at least 12 illegitimate children, he had no legitimate heir, and that made his Catholic brother James the heir to the throne. Anti-Catholic feelings grew as the likelihood of a Catholic king became closer. Charles developed an illness and died in February 1685 at the age of just 54 on his deathbed, he is said to have formally converted to Catholicism, with his brother James by his side encouraging him. Charles II had been a popular king who restored the monarchy to its former glory. He had restored a sense of optimism to the country, overseen the rebuilding and growth after the Great Fire, and encouraged science and the arts. He founded the Royal Observatory. And the coronation regalia he designed is still in use today. But the problem of religion was about to get worse because he was succeeded by his brother, James. James II was by far the shortest reigning of the Stuart kings of England. All the others ruled for at least 20 years. James ruled less than four. His life and his reign represent some of the greatest challenges faced by the Stuarts. So let's review some of the time of Charles II's reign with a focus on James. One of the early dramatic events in James's life was his escape from parliamentary forces during the Civil War. In 1646, he was staying at his father's stronghold in Oxford, but when it fell to the anti-monarchists, James was disguised as a woman to escape. Cromwell's forces were eager to capture members of the king's family, so James's escape was a positive sign for his family and for the royalists. He made his way to refuge in The Hague. After Charles landed in Normandy in 1651 and made an attempt to take back the throne, James took control of an Irish regiment. Although he had initially found refuge in France, when Cromwell made alliances with France, James joined the Spanish army in 1654. Alongside many royalist supporters who had joined the Spanish, James fought against the French at the Battle of Dunes in 1658. It was a terrible defeat for the Spanish and for the Stuarts. However, Cromwell died soon and support for the monarchy coalesced in England. In 1660, Charles was officially declared King of England, restoring the monarchy. James, the proud brother, was made Lord High Admiral. A few months later, he married his mistress, Anne Hyde, who was pregnant. They had a son a few months later who sadly died before he turned a year old. James had been a strong fighter during the Civil War and continued to be so. As Lord High Admiral, he took control of the Navy during the Second Anglo-Dutch War in 1665. The king had awarded his brother the land between the Delaware and Connecticut rivers in the New World. The success he joined as admiral resulted in New Amsterdam being renamed New York in recognition of his title, the Duke of York. In 1667, after the devastation of the plague, the Great Fire, and losses in the war, James was made responsible for refortifying the south coast of England. But sometime around 1668, things changed when James converted to Catholicism. This was a decision that would shape the rest of his life and his reign. Initially, the decision was kept a secret, and James agreed that his two surviving daughters – sadly, most of his children died in infancy – would be raised as Protestants. But James took his own conversion seriously, and it began to dictate his life. Things came to a head in 1673 as the Test Act was passed by Parliament. Charles II had been reluctant to sign the Act but had eventually done so. The act required that anyone holding public office had to affirm their commitment to the Anglican Church. James refused to sign the act and resigned his position as Lord High Admiral. His religion was no longer any kind of secret. His public statement of religion made his choice of second wife a serious problem. Anne Hyde had died in 1671 with their two surviving daughters. Mary and Anne being raised Protestant. Charles II had insisted on that and James had agreed. As it became apparent that Charles II was not going to have any legitimate children to succeed him, the possibility of the Catholic Prince James taking the throne was becoming more and more likely. The fear of a Catholic king was tempered somewhat by the notion it would be a one off, followed by the Protestant rule of daughter Mary. But now James wanted a new wife, and he wanted the Catholic Mary of Medina. There was the every possibility that young bride would have a son who would displace the Protestant Princess Mary in the succession. That meant the very real possibility of a long-lasting Catholic regime in England. Way back in 1572, Sir Francis Walsingham had been the ambassador to France at the time of the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. He saw firsthand the execution of French men, women, and children for being Protestant. When he returned to England, Walsingham did everything in his power to make sure that would never happen in England. He wore out his life and his fortune, making sure Catholics would not assassinate Queen Elizabeth and replace her with Catholic Mary, Queen of Scots on the English throne. Now, there seemed a very real chance that Mary's great-grandson would take the throne of England as a Catholic. The persecution of Protestants in France had continued through the years. It felt like a direct threat to English Protestants. If James took the throne with a Catholic son, what would become of the Anglican Church? Initially, all of James and Mary's children died shortly after birth, but the threat remained. In an effort to pressure to reassure people the royal family were not Catholic and would not become so, Charles II arranged for James's daughter, Princess Mary, to marry her cousin, William of Orange. William had his own claim to the throne as the grandson of Charles I. He was known as a fierce advocate of Protestantism in Europe. The two were married in 1677. However, Rumors continued of plots to murder Charles II and place James and his Catholic wife and possible future Catholic children on the throne. James may not have participated in the plots, but it's hard to imagine he didn't even hear about them. Parliament attempted to pass the exclusion law, which would have specified a Catholic could not take the throne. The law failed, but it also split politics into two distinct camps— Those who supported the exclusion law, which excluded Catholics from the throne, became known as Whigs. Those who opposed this approach became known as Tories. Eventually, as more plots simmered and then petered out, there was an effort to assassinate both Charles II and Prince James in 1683. This had the effect of garnering support for James and strengthening his position as heir. Just two years later, Charles suffered a serious illness and died quite suddenly. As is so often the case, rumors of poison swirled, but nothing was substantiated. James was crowned King James II of England and the seventh of Scotland. He and Mary were crowned at Westminster Abbey on the 23rd of April, 1685. There were two immediate rebellions to protest James's position on the throne. The illegitimate son of Charles II, the Duke of Monmouth, linked his uprising to the one led by Archibald Campbell, the Earl of Argyle. The ultimate plan was for Monmouth to take the throne. Both rebellions were unsuccessful, and Argyll was executed for treason in June, with Monmouth following in July. The Bloody Assisus followed a series of trials for those suspected of participating in the rebellions there were about 1,500 people tried with 300 executed. James II used this as a reason to expand his standing army. He offered Roman Catholics command of regiments and public offices without requiring them to adhere to the Test Act. Over the next two years, his Religion put him on a collision course with Parliament. He seemed to have already forgotten what happened to his father when Charles I believed too completely in the divine right of kings. James believed his power was complete, and he extended that power wherever he wished. In 1685, he prorogued Parliament and attempted to rule on his own. He believed he had the power to dispense with acts of Parliament. If judges disagreed with him on legal matters, he just fired them. This became common over the next year or so. Frustrated by what he saw as the Anglican hold on education, the king expelled all the fellows of Magdalen College at Oxford. In 1687, he turned the college into a Catholic institution. Also in 1687, he, did, he issued the Declaration of Indulgences, which aimed to create religious tolerance. William Penn, yes, that William Penn, as in Pennsylvania, was a strong advocate of the law and promoted it throughout the country. Of course, it was resisted by the Anglican clergy. The king, in turn, began arresting Anglican bishops. This was a bridge too far for the public, who resoundingly objected to the king exercising his authority over the Anglican church. The bishops were released, embarrassing and angering the king. The tipping point came when the queen gave birth to a son, James Francis Edward, in 1688. As a boy, the infant replaced his sister Mary as heir to the throne and reignited fears of long-lasting Catholic rule. This led to one of the most famous baby plots in England, the warming pan story. According to the most strident and Protestant opponents of the king, the queen's baby had actually died and had been replaced by an imposter infant who had been smuggled into the palace in a warming pan. Despite numerous witnesses who had seen the Queen give birth to the child, people chose to believe this absurd story and anti-Catholic riots spread through the country. Faced with this chaos, Parliament reached out to William and Mary and encouraged them to defend their claim to the throne. In fact, you might even say that Parliament invited William to invade England and take over. William had the fighting force and Mary had the clear claim to the throne. Together, they represented the alternative Parliament wanted. William's forces landed in England on the 5th of November, 1688. Another day, too, remember, remember. Just more than 80 years since the gunpowder plot failed, the glorious revolution succeeded. William was willing to pay his forces to wait it out. And the longer he waited, the more of the king's forces abandoned the king. James II had counted on his army, his leaders, and his daughters to stand by him. None of them did. As he saw that his forces would lose, he sent his wife and baby son to France for safety. He quickly followed, declaring that the king had abdicated by leaving the country. Twice, as it turned out, he was allowed to escape, was accidentally captured and returned, and had to be allowed to escape again. William and Mary were proclaimed joint rulers in 1689. James did not give up. He may have forgotten how badly things had gone for Charles I when he stood against Parliament, but he remembered that Charles II had made a surprising return to power. James II garnered forces and fought William in 1690 at the Battle of the Boyne. James was soundly defeated and fled to France, never to return to England again. The two Stuart brothers had seen England through some of the most turbulent times. Battles of religion, plague, fire, threats from abroad, rebellions at home. Charles the second was invited back to restore the monarchy. William and Mary were invited to invade and end the reign of James the second. Those two reigns changed everything. And next week, we'll look at the reigns of the Stuart sisters who followed Queen Mary and Queen Anne. Stay tuned. Thank you for joining us for this discussion of fun and dysfunctional families of British history. As always, please subscribe, rate, share, and let me know what you think. I really appreciate it. Now watch out for our summer specials as we keep exploring those royals, rebels, and romantics. And stay tuned for Season 2, coming in September 2021. It's going to be amazing. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for making Season 1 a success. Please plan now to keep shaking up history with me.